0: gift biz unwrapped episode 355
1: if you don't have the right skills if you don't have the right communication skills it doesn't matter how many hours you work you're not really going to be that successful as an entrepreneur attention gifters bakers crafters and makers pursuing your dream can be fun whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now you are in the right place This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit.
0: Hi there. Thanks for joining me here today. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. We've gotten a lot of new attention from our National Bakers, Crafters, Makers Day celebration. I'm still reeling from all the excitement of last week. And thank you if you participated in sharing handmade memories, adding to our dollars donated and gifts of kindness lists, and being part of the celebration overall. We've decided to leave the website up, for a while at least. So if you want to go over and check that out, you can. HealsTheWorld.com. We've got links from the classes, links to our memory board, and other things from that very special day still up for your viewing and participation. Such a fun time celebrating you and our handmade industry. In today's show, we're covering what is the most dreaded but most important activity for your business, selling. Oh, Wouldn't it be great if it would just go away? Well, it can, in a way. I mean, obviously you need to show your products so people can buy, but the act of selling can be transitioned into an enjoyable activity that brings forth a purchase, of course. You're going to hear why your current actions aren't working, even though you put in hours and hours of effort. And how to switch it up so acquiring new customers aligns with natural human behavior to make all of this so much more comfortable and your sales come in easier than you could ever believe. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Jeremy Miner. Jeremy is the chairman of 7th Level, a top-ranked global sales training company. Per Jeremy, the single most effective way to sell anything to anyone is to be a problem finder and a problem solver, not a product pusher. Jeremy's unique brand of sales training pioneers the use of behavioral science and human psychology. He's the host of the podcast, Closers Are Losers, and a co-author of a new book, The New Model of Selling to an Unsellable Generation. Doesn't that spark our curiosity. Jeremy, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast.
1: Hey, Sue, thanks for having me on your show. I'm going to take all of that as a really nice compliment because my kids say I'm pretty boring. So thank you so much. It was so nice to hear.
0: None of this topic is boring. (laughs) You know, we were talking a little bit in the pre-chat about how sales like that is always a topic. And it'll be interesting to get into the conversation in a deeper level because behavioral science and human psychology as it relates to sales, I'm really curious about what we're going to get into here with all of that.
1: Uh, fascinating subject. That's for sure. Once you learn it, you'll never go back to uh, selling using traditional selling skills. That's for sure.
0: I love that. And I come out of the old, old, I won't date myself, but strategy of they say this, you do this, they do this, you do this. And I closed the book on that years ago, <laughs> but I'm always learning too. sales things. Good
1: for you. I love it.
0: So before we get started, I have a traditional way for you to share with us who you are through a motivational candle. So it's a creative way that really resonates with our listeners here. So if you were to describe yourself or something that motivates you with a candle, what color would it be and what would be a quote that would be associated with the candle?
1: There's a couple, but I would say a blue candle. I think blue in my mind stands for perseverance. It stands for commitment. And I would say the quote would be success is just a choice. Success is really just a choice. At the end of the day, success is a choice. That's what I would say.
0: Okay, success is a choice. And your two words I really like because perseverance and commitment – are two words that I don't think we give enough weight to. And I'm speaking on behalf of our community here because, and it might be consistent, you might see this with all the people that you work with, but I feel like people will try something and it doesn't work. So they either decide they're not enough, they don't have the skills, or their product isn't interesting and won't sell. Like right away, off the bat, like one try, it's over.
1: Yeah. Well, typically, and here's what it is, and we can dive deep into this. When I do events like virtual events or even done a few live events, but even before pre-COVID, mainly did live events. And I would always tell the audience, and, and these are usually entrepreneurs, business owners, salespeople, coaches, consultants, right? People who want to sell more of whatever they sell, products or services, it doesn't matter. And I would always say that your biggest expense in life, like what is your biggest expense in life? And people would say, oh, it's my car payment, or it's my mortgage, or I'd always hear, my kids are my biggest expense. Or a few people would even say taxes. And I'm like, wow, taxes are pretty, yeah, that's probably one of your biggest expenses. But your biggest expense in life is your lack of knowledge. That's your biggest expense. It's your lack of knowledge of not having the right skills with what you do to be able to get where you want to go that's your biggest expense now luckily we can all learn that knowledge it just takes commitment and perseverance to learn how to become successful it's not like you're born out of your mother's womb like you're just the successful being like god just you know magically hits you on the head with a wand and you're going to be successful people who are successful are committed to learning the right skills that make them successful
0: And I guess I would add to that, that it's the skills, exactly what you said. It's not doing the same thing that hasn't been working over and over and over again, thinking if you do it more, suddenly the gate will open and everything will magically work.
1: That's so true. Like I said, we train a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, salespeople, coaches, consultants. And I always hear them say, well, I'm going to sell more. I'm going to move more of our product. I'm just going to work longer hours. And I'm like, Working longer hours doesn't mean that you're just going to be successful. I see so many entrepreneurs. I see so many salespeople or whoever that work their butts off that are completely broke. Mm -hmm. You see, it's not the hours you're putting in. It's what you are saying. It's what you are asking to your potential customers when you talk with them that will determine your success in moving your products and services to more people. It's your skill level that determines that. Because if you don't have the right skills, if you don't have the right communication skills, it doesn't matter how many hours you work, you're not really gonna be that successful as an entrepreneur. I'm an avid reader and I was reading Michael Jordan's, one of his newer books. And he says that something quote like this, I might be butchering, but he said, but he's like, you can take a thousand jump shots a day, but if your technique is wrong, like if it's off, if you weren't taught the right technique, guess what? You're still not gonna be very good at basketball. So you can work 16 hours a day, but if you don't develop the right skills, especially the right communication skills with your clients, with your potential customers, you're never going to get to where you want to be. Now, luckily, that can all change. You just have to learn the right skills.
0: Well, I think you are speaking to a vast majority of the people who are listening because that's what we do. And I think it's human nature that that's what you do. You just think, I grind harder, I do more, I'm just going to get there, and To me, what you're saying is very refreshing. Like there's another way to do this. Like everyone just back it up for a second and rethink sales. To your point about Michael Jordan and the jump shots, like if someone doesn't have the skill and they keep doing it, what are they doing? They're entrenching and ingraining that wrong behavior versus learning a new one.
1: Well, it's so true. Like, you know, with salespeople, and I know your audience is mainly entrepreneurs, I think bakers, crafters, gift makers, right? Yeah, I've been Mm -hmm. watching some of your shows the last couple of days. And even with salespeople, it's so true because they think that they can just work hard and like they call hundreds of leads a day to make a few sales. And I'm like, why not learn advanced skills, like advanced questions that work with human behavior where you just call 10 people and you make like six or seven sales rather than calling 100 people to make two or three. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Like what are you doing? Like you're just like pounding your head against the freaking wall, hoping and praying that something you're gonna say is gonna magically trigger the prospect to wanna buy, and I call that hopium. it's a drug that so many entrepreneurs and salespeople take where they just hope and pray that something they're going to say is just going to cause that person to want to buy and it's such a hard and unpredictable way to grow your business or make sales like you don't have to do it that
0: way no but you know that is the old-fashioned strategy right i don't know how mlms do it today because i'm not in that arena But I do remember door-to-door sales, or when I was out selling years ago, I was selling ads in a newspaper. Like, what was it? Like, okay, you make 100 calls, you might land 10. Oh, 10% close ratio, that's awesome, right? And so the strategy was, you've got to make all those calls, because if you make 100, you'll get 10. Like, it was a numbers thing.
1: It's like golf. Like people keep coming back and playing golf because they'll have one hole where they make par, they do well, but the other 17, they suck. And then for some reason they think they're good at golf. <laughs> like oh. it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It's the same thing with yeah. salespeople and entrepreneurs, right? To your analogy right there is that they think that I got to call these numbers to make sense. Well, you can, if you want, you can grind it out. You can work 12, 14 hours a day, or you can learn the right skills that work with human behavior that get your prospects to pull you in. Rather than you trying to push them and get your prospects chasing you down, wanting to do business with you because they view you as the expert in your field, the authority in your field, whereas they view everybody else as just another company or salesperson trying to stuff their solution down their throat. Which way do you want to be viewed?
0: Right. Well, and that's where the whole salesy, that uncomfortable, like really pushy strategy of being salesy that everyone's trying to stay away from. In one sense, you feel like you have to do it to get the sale. In the other sense, you don't like how it feels. And so you're stuck in this crazy dynamic that's totally uncomfortable.
1: And it's usually because a person doesn't know what they don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know, right? Like this is how you've been taught. You think this is the way, so you have to do it this way. And this might actually help your audience. My background, not to geek out or anything, but my background in college is behavioral science, okay, and human psychology, the study of the brain, like how human beings make decisions and how and why a person is persuaded or not persuaded to do something. So if everybody's listening right now, grab a pen and a piece of paper. If you're driving, don't do that. You're going to have to remember this. So in behavioral science and human psychology are three forms of communication, okay, Once you understand the differences in persuasion and where you are now with your sales ability compared to where you could be, completely will change your entire business. So the first mode of communication is actually what you just described. We would call that more like boiler room selling era, ERA, era one type of sales. According to behavioral science, we are the least persuasive. So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things. Or we attempt to posture them or dominate them or push them into doing something we want to do. Like if you've ever seen that movie like Wolf on Wall Street where they're on the phones and they're like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And then we talk about the features and benefits of what we do. And then we push and we tell them why they need to buy and why they need to go with us. And it's just like telling your spouse that they really, really need to do something for you. And then you push them. What do they typically do back?
0: They resist.
1: Well, they push back. Yeah. Right. It's human behavior. This is exactly what your prospects are doing. Let me give you a few examples for everybody on here. The least persuasive way to sell. And I'm going to try to give a few examples that would kind of resonate with your industry. First of all, I don't think many of your people in your industry do presentations, do they?
0: No, but what they do do is they speak with people at like a craft show or in wholesale at a trade show and they speak about their product in that environment. Yeah.
1: Okay. That makes sense. So let's say we're in that environment and we talk about how we have the best this and we have the best that and we've got the best customer service and we've got the best cakes and we've got the best this or whatever we're selling, right? Here's the problem with that. Every salesperson, every entrepreneur who does exactly what you do or does anything else says the exact same thing, that they have the best product, they have the best service. How many salespeople do you know or entrepreneurs do you know that tell you, yeah, yeah, my products fit best in the market? No one does. They all say they have the best. So your prospects, when you say things like that, actually trust you less or even if you talk bad about your competitors. According to the data, it's not very persuasive at all. Telling your story. I hate to tell you this, but if you're selling one-on-one, nobody really cares about your story. Whose story do they care the most about? Their own right? Their story. That's what they care about. Give it a sales pitch. Like I hate that word, like hashtag ditch the pitch, right? We've all been taught you got to give a great pitch according to the science. Not very persuasive though. You ever watch Shark Tank, Sue?
0: Always. Yeah.
1: Entrepreneurs come in there and they're really excited about their products and they say they've got the best this and the best that. Watch the sharks' reactions. Look at their body language from Mark Cuban and Barbara and Damian and John. When they get pitched, they're like, oh my gosh. Like They just cringe up from the pitch. And the big one, assuming the sale, according to the data, very low on the persuasive poll. Hence, like you said, that's where the term sales is a numbers game comes from because we're triggering it to be a numbers game. And that's the first mode of selling. The second mode of selling is called more consultative selling. We're more persuasive when we attempt to have a discussion, like in a normal adult, okay? Consultative selling came out in the late 80s with books like Spend Selling, where they taught that you needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client. Now, what's a potential downfall of this approach, though, when you only ask logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. Well, your prospect's just going to give you logical-based answers in return, and do people buy on logic or emotion? Emotion. Brain studies prove it now, 100% that they buy on emotion. So once again, more persuasive than telling your story, putting sales pressure on them, but you're still to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by simply asking logical-based questions like, John, what keeps you awake at night? Or can you tell me what solution you're looking for? Or can you tell me two problems you have the most Like you got to get rid of those surface level questions because every single entrepreneur and salesperson asks them all the time. Now, the third mode this is what you want to write down. The most persuasive way, according to the science to persuade is called dialogue. Okay. We are the most persuasive. So this is air three type of sales. We're the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves. When we ask what are called Neuro emotional persuasion questions. That stands for NEPQ, neuro emotional persuasion questions. I know a bunch of boring stuff. Here's the key though. We have to learn certain questions and techniques that like I said earlier, work with human behavior to get the prospect to want to open up to us, to want to engage with us and actually pull us in rather than us pushing them. Now, that's the question. How do you get a person, a human being to persuade themselves? Can you just show up and tell your prospect, hey, I'll give you permission to persuade yourself. Here's, you know, write out the check in my name. No, you have to learn specific skilled questions and when and how to ask them in a step-by-step structure that will get your prospects to sell and close themselves rather than you trying to do it. You see the difference in that, Sue?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're really then in control and then they're much more comfortable or they're feeling that they're in control. Yes,
1: that's the key. You're in control of the entire sales process because you're guiding. You're like a facilitator that's taking them on this journey down the yellow brick road. But you have full control because your questions allow them to feel comfortable enough to open up to you and actually want to go below the surface and tell you what the real problems are and the root cause of the problems and how the problems are affecting them. And that pulls out their emotions where they tie in, they buy in to like, I have to do something about this now. And you're the only person that's ever made them feel that way. They feel like they have control, but who has control? You do 100%.
0: It just feels so much more genuine, too, when you describe it that way. I mean, you're actually building a relationship. Yeah. Let me put myself as someone who's selling at a craft show, for example, okay? So I'm just not forcing my products onto a person. I'm genuinely wanting to get to know who they are, what their relationship is, why they're at the show. You're going to tell me if I'm right (laughs) here, Jeremy, okay? But why they're at the show, what the interest is of them coming and seeing my booth in particular, getting to know them a little bit, and then exchanging information back and forth, right?
1: Yeah, it's more like that. I think, you know, because what you're describing is more like retail sales, like they're coming in, it's a networking show, or they're coming into a store, right? It's kind of the same thing. So when they're coming over to you, and I see this all the time, I experience this when I walk into a trade show, and I'll walk over to a booth, and what's usually the first words out of somebody's mouth in your mind? So what's the first words most people say?
0: Can I help you with something today? Or what are you looking for today?
1: Hi, how can I help you? Hi, can I help you with something today? And what's the first word out of the prospect?
0: No, I'm just looking.
1: (laughs) Yes. See, we triggered that by that question because they're used to every single person that's ever sold to them in retail saying the same question. When I want a pair of jeans and I walk into the jean store and they say, how can I help you today, sir? Just looking. Even though I'm like, man, I really need a pair of jeans. I've got big holes in mine. Like I can't wear them to my date tonight or whatever. Like, We are looking, we're in the market, we came in, and yet we're being triggered to say just looking. It's a knee-jerk question, which they give you a knee-jerk answer in return. So I wanna pre-handle that. I'll kind of give you an example of what you'd wanna do. So let's say somebody comes over, let's say even in a retail store, right? Let's say you're a baker, right? You're in a retail store, you're at a trade show and you've got some, I don't know, cookies. I love cookies, Sue, like that's my only weakness is the sugar and the cookies. Let's work with
0: cookies, let's work with those.
1: So they come over, they're looking for cookies, all right? Because this is me, like I'm a cookie. My three-year-old says, you're a cookie monster, Daddy. So yes, (laughs) I'm a cookie monster. So let's say I come over, the first words out of your mouth would be, oh, hey, are you out just looking around today? Now, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking. And then I'm going to say, oh, okay, do you know what you're looking for? And then boom, I'm right into the conversation. You see, I already spearheaded that objection that they were going to give me by saying it in my first sentence. Oh, hey, how's it going? Are you guys out just looking around today? And they're going to say, yeah, yeah, we're just looking. Okay, and do you know what you're looking for? And then I'm right into the situation. See how that works? Like I'm just giving the objection in the first thing I say, so they agree with me. They're not going to object. And then I ask them, do they know what they're looking for? And I'm right
0: into that dialogue. Make sense? Jeremy, I've never heard this before.
1: Well, there you've probably never heard a lot of what we do before. <laughs>
0: Okay, so this is fascinating, and I love this.
1: It's human behavior.
0: So you speak the initial objection, they affirm it, depending on what the topic is, and then you extend from there.
1: With what you're doing. Now, we would typically do that in different industries, depending on what they're doing. We train a lot of car salespeople and dealerships as well. And what do you do when you walk into any type of a retail establishment? We always teach that opener. Now, if you're selling financial services on Zoom or in a meeting, you're not gonna start with something like that, right? So it depends on the industry, whether it's retail, whether it's an inbound lead who's booked on your calendar or an outbound lead you're calling on the phone or a cold call or a boardroom meeting, there's gonna be different openers we would use. But for retail, with what you do, with what your audience is probably having people come to them into a store, into like a trade show, you'd always wanna do that. Because it's just like cars. Like you come in, you're like, you come into the BMW dealership, you're looking for a new car, right? And they come up and say, hey, how can we help you? Just looking, right? That's your initial your response. But if I come in and say, hey, guys, welcome to the dealership. Are you guys just all out kind of looking around today? Yeah, yeah, we're looking. Okay, and do you know what you're looking for possibly? And then you start right into that conversation. It's so easy when you just tweak it just a little bit.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this question. Because what you're doing is you're knocking down them being defensive.
1: I'm disarming them.
0: You're disarming them. Okay.
1: So have you, if you read any type of sales book, you can't see me here because we're just on audio, but I've got about in my library here, like right behind me, I've got about 3,000 some books. Okay, probably half of those are on sales, persuasion, human behavior, psychology. Any of those books always talk about, well, the sales books do, not the psychology books because they would never see that because they know it doesn't work. They talk about always be closing, the ABCs of closing. How many of us have heard of that? We read a book that says, you got to follow the ABCs of closing, always be closing. Well, you can, if you want to be average at sales, because in our day and age, with the information age we live in today, people don't fall for those little tricks. They just don't. Like if you try to push, 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 they just push, push, push back. So we want to follow now what I call the ABDs, ABD is a dog, of selling. And that stands for always be disarming. Because here's one thing I think a lot of people don't understand, within the first seven to 12 seconds, of any sales call you're on or any sales interaction you're in, even at a trade show or a retail store or anything, your prospect is subconsciously picking up on your social cues. We can't help it as a human being, okay? We just do. We subconsciously pick up on your verbal and nonverbal cues from your tonality and what you are saying and or asking that triggers their brain to respond in one of two ways. Now, if you come across needy, and attach like you're trying to make that sale and you don't know the right questions to ask to trigger engagement. It actually triggers their brain to go into what we call fight or flight mode. I think a lot of people have heard of fight or flight mode. They just don't know what that means. What that means is they try to get rid of you and they say things like, oh, you know what? I'm just too busy. Can you just give me a card and you know, we'll think about it and get back to you. Can you just email me some information? Here's my email or this sounds good. If you give me your card, I'll get back to you in a week, a month, a year later. And then what happens? Nothing. They never get back to you, nothing, because you've triggered fight or flight mode. Now, if you come across more neutral, more like you're not quite sure you can even help them, right? And you're more calm and relaxed and especially detached, and you ask the right questions, it actually triggers their brain to become curious enough where they want to engage with you. They want to open up to you because you might have something that's very important to them. You're just different. So you have to come across detached from the expectations of making the sale. And instead we really need to focus on whether there's a sale to be made in the first place, whether or not they have problems that we can actually solve. Now, do I mean that when they come over to you in a trade show or they come into your store, or you're on a call that you shouldn't make a sale? No, of course you should. But the moment you have to keep that to yourself because the moment your prospect feels that you are just trying to sell them, like trying to slam your solution down their throat. Is the moment they start to emotionally shut down. You with
0: me? I'm totally with you. I have a situation I want to ask your opinion on. Yeah. So local community craft show. So it's outside. Like the communities put them together on the streets and there's all these booths. And there's a booth with a woman who sells clothing. Okay, so there's racks of clothing in her booth. She's there. Someone walks into the booth and she welcomes them in. Hi, you know, I love that you're here today. Take a look around if you have any questions. I'm here and available, you know, if you want to talk. How do you feel about that approach? Welcoming them in, saying they're available, and allowing them to just look around. Is one of your goals for this year a new approach to social? Are you finally admitting that you're spending far too much time there without seeing anything in the way of results? Or do you jump onto Instagram planning to post, but get caught up in all the fabulously produced reels? Then you get intimidated and step back. Yeah, (laughs) me too. We know at this point we should post consistently with quality content, but when it comes time to actually do it, figuring out what to post is overwhelming and time-consuming. That's why I created Content for Makers last year. Many of you have purchased this high-value, low-cost program and have newfound ease in your posting. And guess what? If you already have Content for Makers, there's no need to purchase it ever again. One and done, because it teaches you a posting strategy and prompts that are timeless and can be used over and over again. Now, based on your feedback, I've enhanced content for makers to include a hard copy social media scheduler because makers like tangible planners where we can add our own creative punch to the mix, right? Drumroll. Introducing Connected 2022, a content scheduler that helps you plan out your topics, whether they're for social media, blog articles, or videos, all in one place. Now, to clarify, this is not your daily planner. This is focused on content planning. It includes direction on how to nail down a strategy, monthly cues for new content, and your own images. And it can be used in conjunction with content for makers or as a standalone resource. Finally, feel in control of your content with a strategy and purpose not just something random that you think of on the fly to publish that day. Intentional content saves time so you can focus on other business tasks and attracts customers, which brings eyes to your brand and orders to your cart. To see more about the Connected 2022 social media scheduler, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash connected 2022. And now let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah, it's okay, but you just don't control anything there. So you're just hoping and praying that they're going to look around and magically see something great that triggers them to want to buy from you.
0: How would you adjust that? How would you make that better? Same thing. Hey, welcome into
1: the shop today. Are you guys just all out kind of looking around today? Yeah, yeah, we're just out looking, having
0: some fun. Okay, same way, same wording.
1: Oh, okay. And we might not even have what you're looking for. Do you know what you're looking for specifically? Now, see how I just change that. Now, we might not even have what you're looking for, but do you know what you're possibly looking for just to see if we have it? You're coming across more neutral by making that statement, that you're not quite sure you can even help them yet because you don't know yet, right? So when you do that, it removes any sales pressure from that conversation where the prospect feels comfortable enough to actually open up to you and engage with you. That's the difference.
0: Okay. So what do you do about a customer who really doesn't know what they're looking for? Like they're at this show because they're just looking around to see if there's anything interesting. They might buy for a gift. They might buy for themselves. They really just want to look.
1: Let me do this. I'll just role play this. And do you know what you're looking for? Well, I'm not really sure. Just kind of looking around. Well, if you really thought about it, like what type of gift do you think you'd actually be after? So it's just a rephrase. Well, if you really thought about it, what do you think you might be looking for? Are you looking for more of a shirt or more like keychains, or what are you actually looking for just to see if we could even help you? Because we might not be able to. Exactly that. You just rephrase the question in a different way.
0: Okay, got it. I love these levels and it becomes so much clearer. Your era one, which was like the pushing, <laughs> the way old, right? Then consultative selling, which is better. <laughs> you know, for sure it's better.
1: Yeah, it's better than the first way for sure. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, but then getting into more of the dialogue like that, it just honestly, like even if you look at life overall, like let's say you get an email and you respond to an email and someone responds back or social media even. You know how we talk about all the actions in the direct messages, right? Even that individual attention and response that's not selling, you know, it's not one of those auto responders that's just automatically selling already you have more of an emotional connection with that brand, that person, whoever it is. I see it just throughout life working better. We're transferring it over to sales.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's human behavior 101. And before I forget, because sometimes I forget when I get on a podcast, if your guests want more of those type of questions or what to do if a customer says this or a customer throws out this objection, like if they wanted some resources on those type of questions to use in different scenarios, mm-hmm. I think if we gave you the website they can go to. They can join our free Facebook group. That's probably the best. It's I always forget it. It's www.salesrevolution.group, so salesrevolution.group. And if they want to join to get some of those resources, right when they join, there'll be like a two-question survey that is like, what do you sell? What are your price points? It just helps track data for who's in our group. We have about, I think about 13,000 people in there now or somewhere in that range that are entrepreneurs and small business owners and sales professionals. And right when they join, have them check their DMs because somebody on my team will DM them a free resource, a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. And it will give them several different questions that they can use for different situations that they're in selling their products or services. We always give that away for free when somebody joins. So they're welcome to do that if they want to learn those types of skills.
0: Oh, wonderful. The link to the group will definitely be in the show notes. So if you didn't catch it now, just jump over to the show notes and you'll be able to get in there. Jeremy, what else happens in the group? When someone joins, what can they expect?
1: Well, we do a lot of cool things in the group. We started that probably about nine months ago, so it's rapidly growing. But typically, we go live in there about four times a week with different trainings, different Q&As. We have, geez, hundreds of different industries of different types of people that are in there, so we get a lot of different types of questions. So they get their questions answered about sales. Maybe they have a situation like you did, like, hey, what do I say if the prospect comes into my clothing store and they say this? How do I respond to that? So every week we give out usually some type of uh, training, you know, like, Hey, have you ever got the, I want to think it over objection. Well, in today's group training that Jeremy did with his advanced inner circle clients, he went over exactly how to get the prospect to overcome that. Here's a free 20 minute training. So we do a lot of stuff like that. And if they ever want to learn more advanced skills so they can sell more of their products and services, they just tag us or message us, and somebody on my team will get them with one of our team members and see if we can help them sell more. we got a lot of different, obviously, training products and services for different industries that we use to get big-time results, for sure. We train a lot of people in your guys' space, too, actually.
0: Wonderful. Well, I think we all should go and take a look at that group, get the free information and the live trainings and questions, all of that and where that leads. I mean, I'm very curious about that. So that sounds like an amazing resource. I think another potentially really great resource for everybody is your podcast, Jeremy.
1: Sure. Yeah. They can always listen to our podcast. Closers are losers. Everybody's like, what? Closers are losers. No, I'm a winner.
0: I know you get the attention there.
1: (laughs) I'm a winner if I'm closing, right? Everybody's like, we just slap them in the face. We don't even like to use the word closing. Like closing is so misunderstood. Like so many people are like, Oh, okay. Well, what did you ask them to close them down? Well, I hate to tell you folks, people do not decide to buy at the very end like one cheesy closing line. Do you want the red one or the blue one? Do you want to take delivery Tuesday at five or Wednesday at four, okay?
0: Oh, I hate that, yeah.
1: That's not where the sale is won or lost at with the closing technique, okay? The sale is won or lost during the discovery part of your sales process. It's won or lost with your questioning ability that allows your prospects to view in their mind that it's far more risky for them to do nothing, stay in the status quo, their problems stay the same, and nothing ever changes for them, than it is for them to actually get the money together, purchase what you're offering to solve their problems and get what they want, like which is more risky, okay? At the end of your conversation, instead of just saying like, well, hey, do uh, you wanna buy? Or do you want the red one or the blue one? Or why don't you give it a try, like some of these cheesy closing lines, You simply ask them what we call a commitment question. We don't like to use the word closing because we feel like it demeans people, like you're just a number, like I'm just closing, 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 closing people, like who wants to be closed, all right? But we wanna ask commitment questions that get them to commit to take the next steps, purchase what you're offering to solve their problems to get what they want. So we can simply ask a commitment question after we go through everything, just say, do you feel like this could be the answer for you? And most people are gonna be like, Yeah, I do. Or they might say, yeah, but I don't have the money. Well, money aside, why do you feel like it would though? See, that's an NEPQ probing question. And now they're going to tell me why they feel like it's what they're looking for. But more importantly, who are they going to tell that to? Themselves.
0: They're telling it to themselves. And do you think that by asking those commitment questions and them responding more in a dialogue to your wording, so it's still more of a conversation?
1: It's a skilled conversation.
0: Okay, a skilled conversation do they then talk themselves into the sale? Is that what is happening?
1: By this point, really closing is like 5% of the sale. The Mm -hmm. other 95% is done in the engagement part of that process where you're helping them find problems they didn't have. One thing we have to understand, I see so many entrepreneurs and salespeople are like, well, you know, we just have to sell to what they need. Well, I'm like, well, that's the problem. Most of your prospects don't know what they need. Like they don't know what they don't know when they first start talking to you. Let me give you an example. Like if I have a headache this morning, And I'm like, you know, I need to go to my doctor. I need to get some medication because, man, this migraine is just killing me. I need some headache medicine. Like, that's what I need in my mind. But I go to the doctor, and the doctor starts asking me a few questions. And he's asking me about the symptoms and when they started and what it feels like and how it's affecting me. And then he realizes it might be more than just a migraine. And he's like, we possibly need to do a, what's a scan on your head, like a CAT scan? I don't even know what that's called.
0: CAT scan or MRI, or you know what, depends. Yeah.
1: CAT scan. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, MRI. It's CAT scan on your head. And they find after that CAT scan that day that you have a brain tumor. And oh, by the way, that brain tumor is life threatening, and you've probably got about 30 days before you die. Okay. The hell with your budget of thinking you only needed 100 bucks to get some pain medication for your migraine. Let's say that surgery to remove the tumor is 100000 The hell with your budget. You're going to move around money. You're going to go get a loan. You're going to do whatever you can to solve that problem. But in the beginning, you didn't even know you had that problem. So you can never sell to the need of the prospect. You have to sell to what the real problems are. Now, most of your prospects, like I mentioned, don't understand they even have a problem when you first start talking to them, or maybe they don't know how bad their problems really are, or maybe the consequences of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving their problems. Now, once you learn an once you learn the right questions, not only are you able to help them find one problem, but you can also help them find two, or maybe three or four of their problems that they didn't even know they had. And when you're able to help them see the problems they have, And where they are now compared to where they want to be, they will start to view you as the expert, the trusted authority who's going to get them the results they want. And they will gladly pay way more money for what you sell than they would for any other product or service because that's how they view you now. See how that works?
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking of our audience here because a lot of them will be saying right this minute, I can hear their minds rolling around <laughs> saying, I sell pampering products. My lotions and oils don't solve a problem. Or the woman with the clothing shop. I sell clothes to make people feel pretty. Like they don't have a problem.
1: Well, you just solve emotional problem for them.
0: Everything, everything
1: that's ever made was meant to solve a problem. And I'll give you an example. Like we train a very big exotic car dealerships, okay? And they sell Lamborghinis and Royal Royces and Aston Martins. Their cheapest car is like $300,000. Most of them are like half a million. And I remember when I first started talking to the manager, she's like, man, it's like, we don't really solve any problems with these cars. Like people are just rich. They just come in here and they just buy it or they don't buy it. They just got all the money. I'm like, really? Interesting. Let me give you a scenario. And I just told him about myself. I said, you know, about five years ago, I went out and I spent $220,000 on a Maserati. Do you know why I did that? He's like, no, because you're rich. You have a lot of money. It's like, no, no, no. It was because when I grew up as a kid, my dad lost his job and we went from a middle-class family to a very poverty family. My mom had to go back into school. She was a waitress. We had five kids in the family. We literally went from middle-class to food stamps in about two months. And I remember my first practice going into baseball as like an 11-year-old. I went in there And all my friends were making fun of me because I didn't have the Nike cleats anymore. I was wearing the cheap Voigt cleats from Walmart because my family couldn't pay for them. And I remember what type of impact that had on me. Like, I'm never going to be poor like this. Like, I'm never going to be made fun of. And that drove me where eventually I felt like I had to have this prestige and this status in my neighborhood that I lived in by buying that house that was huge or, you know, the cars that I drove and that solved an emotional need for me. That's what you're solving. And he was like, whoa. I never thought about it that way. Yes, yeah, so that clothing, that shirt solves what? An emotional need. Because after all, if they just were wearing something to keep them warm so they don't freeze, they could go buy some type of sweatshirt from Walmart, right? Or if you sell cars in the same thing, you could just go drive a cheap Honda to get to point A to point B. So you're solving with clothing and those type of things. An emotional need is what you're solving. That's what women's clothing does. It solves an emotional need. Shoes, an emotional need, right?
0: Exactly. And the key there is emotional. And we've already talked about the fact that people buy from emotion, right? Not logic.
1: Yeah. You're solving an emotional problem that that prospect has 100%. You have to understand that nice shirt in your clothing store solves an emotional problem that she has in her mind that makes her feel maybe more sophisticated, that makes her feel better about herself, that makes her feel that she can maybe attract a better boyfriend or something, you know, it just whatever it is, right? Like it solves an emotional need.
0: Right. So I suggest to everybody who's listening, like really think about your product and consider what the emotional fulfillment is that your product provides. Before you get in this situation where you're going to need to talk to people about it, what are the different reasons why people are buying from you and what is it that your product solves from an emotional standpoint?
1: Yeah, like if you sell apple pies and let's say that a company is coming in because they want to buy a bunch of apple pies for some type of convention you're not just solving the emotional need for those people. You're solving like convenience. You're solving the pies being on time. You're solving the pies being warm because last year they bought pies from somebody else and they were cold. Like there's so many things that your questions can help discover that you wouldn't even have thought could be a problem for that prospect.
0: Yep. 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 Okay. Before we run out of time here, Jeremy, I have one final question for you. Ask away. How do you think, I mean, all of this that you have talked about is golden. I am so excited to listen to this again and go through and think about some of the things that you've said here for myself as well. But what do you see having changed over the course of these last couple of years? If anything, where are we at as buyers versus people who have products to offer today? And what advice do you have?
1: I think the way that things have changed and it's been building up, it's been building up for decades. I think it's kind of hit it really hard with the financial crash in 2008. And then again, with the pandemic, almost Jesus, like we've been in the pandemic for 55 years now. I think I'm like, I know that are it? like, <laughs> number five, like what's going on? You know, I'm like lost now. I just tune everything out. So I think what's changed and it's been changing is that your prospects, even if you sell very low ticket, even if you sell cakes, okay your prospects are even more cautious and skeptical about making the wrong buying decisions than they have ever been before. And why is that? You know, one of our clients, his name's Brandon Kane, he's the author of Hook Point: How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World. He's a big influencer that does all like Taylor Swift's social media, Rihanna, MTV, social media. So he's like this big dude in Hollywood. And he talks about that there are over 3 billion content creators every day who are trying to take away your prospects' attention. Okay. If you think about it, even 13-year-old girls on TikTok, you are now competing with for their attention, right? Do you know how many content creators there were 20 years ago? Less than 1 million. Hmm. Now there's 3 billion. See, we live in the information age. We live with the power of the internet, social media, where your prospects are being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, month after month, year after year. And when I say that at events, people like, oh, no, that's not true. You're not being sold to all the time. Oh, really? Think about it. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You get on your phone, you scroll through your Facebook, you see ads trying to what? Sell you something. You walk into the kitchen, you're tired, you're pouring your coffee, you turn on the TV. What do you see? Commercials trying to sell you something. You get into the car to go to your office for work. You turn on the radio. What do you hear? Radio ads trying to sell you something. You drive down the road, you see billboards up to the side trying to what? sell you something. You get on your lunch break, you start selling through social media. You're on Instagram now. You see ads doing what? Trying to sell you something. You get home at night. You see your aunt post about her latest, greatest MLM that she wants you to join. So you're constantly being sold to all of the time. And because of that, which is only getting more, human beings have built up a wall of resistance anytime we feel that someone is trying to sell us something so we have to start learning, instead of being a product pusher, like you kind of introduced me as, like, you don't want to be a product pusher, you have to learn how to become a problem finder and problem solver. And that means asking the right questions at the right time in the conversation that gets the prospect to see what the real problems are. And not just what the real problems are, but the root cause of the problem and how the problems are actually affecting them. When you're able to do that, selling becomes boring, it becomes so easy. And that's what you want it to be.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm nodding my head over here because that's exactly our life. Everywhere you turn around, you're being sold to. And if you can break through all of that, be more of a friend and a consultant still guiding the conversation, as you're saying, but letting them figure it out and walk their path with your kind of gentle guidance through, you're going to be so different from everybody else out there.
1: And we want to be careful and I know what you mean. I don't think you mean like just being a friend like hey, come over to being a friend doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make a lot of sales. You know, if you read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, great book. The problem is is it was written in 1938 and the prospects and people are completely different than they were 80 years ago. Okay? People used to buy it from the local butcher store because they liked him. They used to buy it from their aunt because they liked them, okay? People don't buy in our day and age from people who they like. They buy from people and companies who they feel can get them the best result. Think about Amazon. You would probably much rather buy from your friend next door who has a local shop who sells the same thing, but you're buying from Amazon because of why? Because they get you a better result, right? You would much rather buy from the butcher that lives in your neighborhood because you're friends with them, but you go to a bigger grocery store because they get you a better result. People buy from people who they feel can get them the best result. If they like you, that's just a bonus in our day and age. They don't buy from you just because they like you. They buy from you because they feel like you can get them the best results. But you have to ask the right questions that allow them to see that. You can't tell them that because it's going to go in one ear out the other.
0: Yeah. Would you also say, though, they'll buy based on their values? Because my son is a perfect example. He will buy something more expensive versus on Amazon because he does know the owner of the business. And by the way, they're green and he's very concerned about the environment. So, but that also goes back to buying from emotion.
1: Yeah. Cause he feels like that person is going to get him a better result with maybe the green products than maybe what he could buy from Amazon. It's all about results. Always buy based on results. If they like you, that is a bonus. That's it. Now, if they feel they have two companies that get them the exact same result and they also like you, then obviously that's a bonus, right? But people buy based on who they feel can get them the best result. They'll gladly pay you way more. Like, you love grandma. You love her. And let's say you want to get into MLM or something, right? You love grandma. And she wants you to join her downline or whatever they call it. You have somebody else who you met the other day. You don't even know, but they're the number one producer in the company. Well, who are you going to join? You're going to join the person who's going to get you the better result. Not grandma, even though you love grandma.
0: You're probably not going to tell grandma you're doing it, though.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> there you
0: okay. Go. All right. Final word for our listeners from you, Jeremy.
1: People always ask me, like, if you could describe sales in one word, what would that word be? And I said, you know, I need to come up with a word because when people ask me that, I think here's what it is. Sales is all about change. It's about one thing only. It's about change. It's about how good you are at getting the prospect to view in their mind that by changing their situation, that means buying what you sell is far less risky for them than them doing nothing at all, staying in the status quo, their problems stay the same. Now, here's what we have to understand about change. Sales is about change, but human beings don't like change. Let me repeat that, okay? Because everybody's like, what, huh? Okay, sales is all about change, but human beings don't like change even though they say they do. It makes us feel uncomfortable, especially when it's initiated by some pushy salesperson who is ready to pitch their cakes within 30 seconds of meeting the prospect. Human behavior shows that we value something that is familiar, even if we don't really like it that much, over something that is maybe unknown to us or foreign to us. Like think the battered spouse syndrome, right? They don't like the spouse. They keep getting beat up, but they keep going back because that's what they know, right? Human behavior shows that we value tradition and consistency. So you have to realize that you're not selling the thing. You're selling the results of that thing. Okay. You're not selling the designer dress to the lady. You're selling the results of what that dress is going to do for her, how it's going to make her feel. That's what you're selling. You're not selling the actual dress itself. You're selling the results of what it does for them. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would leave the final thought.
0: And it changes them in a positive way that they're desiring, which is why the change is accepted.
1: Yep. hundred percent. That's right.
0: Golden information, Jeremy. So many new concepts for us to consider and think about. I appreciate you coming on, sharing all of this with us today. And absolutely, you guys, go over, check out the group, listen to the podcast, because all of this is going to continue. You've just heard in, what, about 40 minutes, so much good content. Just imagine what's out there waiting for you.
1: Give you a few little hors d'oeuvres to chew on. But yeah, the best <laughs> if you ever want to learn about us or get any resources, I just have them go to our free Facebook group, the salesrevolution.group. And right when they join, we'll tag them with a free resource of different questions they can ask in different sales scenarios that will help them for sure. So Sue, it was an honor to be on. I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you so much. I love Jeremy's term, hopium, because I think that's what a lot of us do put up social posts, exhibit at shows, or email our list with a promotion and then hope those efforts will bring in orders. Being a problem solver versus a product pusher and doing it strategically is definitely a plan worth following. On tap for next week, a look into something sweet and an interesting path that led my guest to what she's doing today. If you're currently working in a field or have a position that is less than fulfilling, you'll find this one really insightful. As always, thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, leaving a rating and review helps the show get seen by more makers. There are other ways to show support, too. Visit my shop for a wide variety of gift biz paraphernalia, like mugs, t-shirts, water bottles, and more featuring logos and quotes to inspire you throughout your day. Take a look at all the options at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash shop. All proceeds offset the costs of producing this show. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.